Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. Greetings, Barrier Breakers. Join me each week on the Road to Equity, where we discover and explore human interaction and connection. Let's identify roadblocks and barriers, implement solutions and strategies to inspire results. It is an eye on equity as we navigate life filled with detours and pit stops meant to challenge us and show us a piece of who we are. I firmly believe that through shared experiences, lessons, and laughter, we can begin to change the world. So if you will, join me and buckle up for courageous conversations and insights to help change the narrative and close the gap on the road to equity. Greetings, Barrier Breakers. I'm so excited to speak with Courtney Kingery or Miss Kingery. She's a teacher. She's a mentor. Uh, she's an ally above all. And she's here to talk to us more about breaking barriers in the classroom. Because now more than ever, we need allies in the classroom who are a voice for students and fellow colleagues who often feel silenced, ignored, and oppressed because of their race, their religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, their socioeconomic status, and their ability. With the national narrative and events that have occurred in 2020, and even currently, right, the need for advocates in the classroom to partner and speak out against injustice, racism, and support marginalized groups and individuals is necessary to create a culture of inclusion and equity. So you know we always seek to identify, implement, and inspire. The significance of allyship in the classroom is so important. So we're identifying what it teaches our students about who they are and their value. We're implementing solutions and strategies to break barriers and challenge the status quo. And then lastly, we're inspiring our listeners to stand, speak for marginalized students and people that are often silenced, ignored, or assumed. You inspire change for their stories to show up because seeing is believing. And it creates a connection and sense of belonging, not only to the curriculum, but to education and to the world. So sometimes we have to take a look back and realize that change can be uncomfortable. And how do we create change? Well, we have to gradually overwrite the old way of thinking to make small steps to be a voice on your campus and in your classroom through the pedagogy, right? And so we'll look at why we need allies. How do educators navigate the challenges of being an advocate in and out of the classroom? And what's it mean to be an effective ally? We talk about allyship. What does that mean, right? Well, it means standing in solidarity with others who feel oppressed, whether or not they're part of that targeted group. So a teacher ally is someone who understands their own social identity and the privileges that exist. They're willing to be a voice to break down institutional and educational barriers in relation to poverty, race, sexual orientation, or whatever it is. Allies begin the conversation on their campus and in their classrooms about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and bias, where it may be wanted or where it may not be wanted, um, because some organizations may be resistant to change, right? You don't know what you don't know. But with any change in activism, we know this work can be very uncomfortable, frustrating, and it can be inconvenient. But for allies, they see the purpose of it. They see it being meaningful and necessary to change the status quo and to change the narrative. It also means adapting the curriculum to reflect student identities, their interests and their stories, to elevate diverse perspectives, 
discussing the absence of voices and readings, discussing different viewpoints from whom the story is written, and having students learn about minority characters and their lived experiences and their point of view, right? So today we're talking to an ally, a barrier breaker herself, Miss Kingery. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, I'm Courtney Kingery Reagan. Uh, I go by Mrs. Kingery as a teacher. And um, I moved to the clean area because my husband was stationed at Fort Hood. And I moved here in 2015. I started teaching uh, my first two years at Harker Heights, and that's where I met you. And then I moved over to early college, and so did you. So that was pretty fun. Um, I've been, this is my sixth year teaching now. Uh, I teach um, English. I taught freshman English for five years, and now I'm teaching uh, sophomore English. I wanted to follow those kids from last year. So I, I really enjoy this community because um, the military community, first of all, was very welcoming. And second of all, beyond that, now that my husband's out of the army, we love this school district. We love um, all the different people we meet and we love especially early college. That's probably one of the main reasons we've stayed is just this school is the place I need to be. Well, as I was thinking about this, um, I decided to define for myself three major barriers I see with uh, students in the classroom and just in education in general. And three of the main barriers I see include sort of that tone and language policing with our students. They feel like they can't be their authentic selves with the way they speak. And so we all remember that being a kid, changing the way we talk to teachers versus how we talk to our friends and making sure nobody was around to hear. And um, one of the ways that I help kids is by letting them write the way they want to, especially with the genre of personal reflection or memoir. I try to incorporate at least one of those pieces for them to write each marking period because I think it's important for them to write authentically first before they can learn to write critically and analytically. Um, so one of the ways that I help them is by letting them know they truly can trust me. I'm not gonna report them for writing something that might be what older people would call off color. Um, for instance, one of my students, he wanted to write about a bullying experience he had in middle school. Um, he is a Pacific Islander descent, and so he is experiencing lots of uh, bullying because of that and because of the way his parents talk. And so a student ended up calling him a slur, and he wanted to write about that, but was worried about writing the slur out. And he was worried about writing out the way he reacted to it. And he said, you know, I don't want to get in you in trouble, Miss Kingery. And I said, you know, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you being sensitive to that and being honest with me about it, but I also want you to be completely honest. And that means writing what happens to you. I want you to speak your truth. I want you to tell me. And don't worry, I've heard these words before. You're not gonna hurt my feelings by sharing uh, what happened to you. I want you to be truthful. And um, I, I, I feel that so often we get caught between wanting kids to be themselves and then the pressure from outside to be professional, whatever that means, right? Right. So I think one of the ways that I like to help kids realize they really can be themselves is by encouraging them to use language that is authentic to them whenever possible. And I think that goes into uh, the social emotional for kids to truly find a space to uh, release, to express themselves, to maybe um, 
provide their insight, their lived experience in a way that maybe they aren't able to in their normal life. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is just letting them know that they don't always have to have that professional mask on to be learning. Um, the second barrier I kind of uh, outlined for this is policing their aesthetic expression. That happens so much in school with, you can't wear that and you can't wear that and this is distracting and this is the dress code and you can't have a hat on, you can't have a hood on. Um, I'll be honest, I kind of skirt that line of not sending kids to the office when they're technically out of dress code. Um, personally, I would be willing to defend that if it was, I was ever called out about it, but I haven't been, is they're learning in my room right now and that's what matters. They feel safe enough to be themselves and wear what makes them feel like themselves. And as long as it's not hurting anybody else, like it doesn't have hate speech or anything on it, I really am just gonna let them be themselves. And that includes wearing their hood, wearing their hat. Um, if they have a headache, wearing sunglasses, it really doesn't bother me, any of it. Um, and I think that, goes to a deeper idea of, of what we want kids to present themselves as at school can be so limiting and uh, stifling for them because that's not who they are outside of school. And who they are outside of school is so big, it's on their mind all the time. So basically my, my classroom is that barrier of, okay, you're out of the hallway now, you can relax, you can breathe, just be yourself, put your hood up if you need to, sit on the floor, sit against the wall, lay on your stomach, whatever. Pre-pandemic, I had a couch in my room and rugs and pillows, and I never turned the fluorescent lights on. That's most, mostly because I get headaches from them, but kids have told me that they hate them too. So I think just creating an atmosphere that is relaxed and let them wear what they want, put their hoods up, be themselves, because so much about the way we police students' clothing can be traced back to systemic racism and bigotry and homophobia and just ways that we consider certain types of dress uh, distracting, but others not. And just the statistics you can look at very easily that show that disproportionately black girls are policed for their clothing the most out of anybody. And I see it happen in front of me. I know it's not an exaggeration. And it, it's my own small form of rebelling against that to say, you know what, you're not hurting anybody in here and, and you're not, you know, nothing's hanging out. So just come in and do your work, come be safe in here. Um, I do remind them to take their hoods and hats off in the hallway because I know that that's not as safe of space as my room. I know that there are going to be teachers who are not okay with it. And so I do let them know, hey, once you're out there, you're out there. So take your hood and hat off. Yeah, and it's a way for them to kind of breathe uh, because learning already can be challenging. And so when you're having all these other barriers that they've already um, kind of broken down to even get to the classroom to begin yeah. learning, now here's another way that it's, you know, it's a way for to kind of rip off this proverbial mask that we're all wearing, but it's saying that, hey, breathe, take, you know, be, be calm. Um, in this space so that you can open your mind for learning to engage. So absolutely. And then for a third one, um, this kind of goes along with policing their language, but it's really policing their topics. 
Um, I've seen a lot of hesitancy from students when we get into the uh, debate and argument aspects of English class where they don't want to choose a topic that will quote get them in trouble. That's always how they phrase it. And when I ask them, well, what topics are you talking about? You know, oh, well, you know, Black Lives Matter and abortion and, and climate change and uh, separation of church and state. And when you ask students to tell you what they're afraid to talk about and they feel safe enough to tell you, you'd be surprised how active these students are and what's really happening. And so many older people, you know, oh, children are out of touch. They don't know, or they don't, they won't understand, or they're not ready for it. And you couldn't be more wrong. They know what's going on. They care about what's going on. They want to find out more about what's going on. And the danger in just letting them explore those things on their own or with their peers is they don't have that, that model of, of a person who does know how critical thinking works and who can ask them questions that they wouldn't ask themselves. And so I encourage them to explore and research and study whatever they want, as long you know, as far as the content filter will take them on the school Wi-Fi. Um, and then we talk about what phrases are blocked and what phrases aren't and what that means too. So that even that brings up conversations that are important. Um, and for instance, I'll talk about one of my students wanted to do a project on. Um, he is a Mexican singer, and he recently made a music video in drag to protest uh, misogyny and uh, homophobia and talk about how gender roles really are just constructs. And um, he wanted to confront that aspect of his culture that he saw as toxic, as machismo, really. And my student wanted to do a project on him, but she thought it was too provocative, was worried that she would get in trouble for it. And when I told her to go for it and that I was excited to read more about it, her face kind of lit up. And this is one of my students who is an English language learner and she's very self-conscious, doesn't, doesn't see school as a place where she's safe because she's always having to perform and translate and speak in a language she's not comfortable with. And so just giving her a topic matter that she cared about was just one, one less thing she had to, had to worry about, so. And I think, too, if we're preparing them to be uh, in the real world where they're going to have to, you know, they're going to encounter these difficult topics, you want to equip them to think critically and to not just take whatever someone gives them as the gospel truth and to question things, you know, so and to have it in a healthy way to be able to, you know, express and use your words uh, in a way where you can articulate it is what you're saying and, and your points. So I think too, it makes it so relevant to their lives, the topics that you allow them to address because now they have, there's some buy-in, there's some engagement, um, it's meaningful to them. And I'm so glad you brought up the adultification bias because we sometimes you know adultify our kids or think they should know better or we assume even too that, you know, a freshman sometimes I know look like seniors, you know, and so then we'll be like, you know, you're almost out of school, you should know better as a senior this, when really they're just teenagers and they're still growing and learning. And um, it's our kind of role to nurture and kind of guide them through that process. Exactly. I try to be that space where they can safely experiment with those ideas because we know they're already talking about these things with their friends and on social media and who knows who they're watching on YouTube and TikTok and everything. And, and we don't want 
we don't want the algorithm deciding what they think for them, so to speak. We want them to be able to question, well, I wonder if that's completely true, and then look up opposing sides and look up further evidence, because as we can see, so many adults have already fallen into the trap of, of believing things that are not completely true or spun a certain way. And I don't want my students to fall into that trap. Absolutely. And when looking at um, the kind of next topic as we make our way, what are two important reasons you see um, are important to be an ally? And it's important not just for your students, but for colleagues and society as a whole. So we know that a big problem in our society specifically is the dropout rate among certain demographics and more uh, underprivileged groups, uh, more minority groups. And I, I want to make sure that I'm not part of the reason that a student decides education is not for them. I want to actively oppose that status quo cookie cutter approach that makes kids feel like they don't belong in education. They're not cut out for it. And I know that by making them feel authentically, genuinely heard and seen and understood, they're much more likely to decide, well, there's at least one space here for me. And part of the way I have been doing that recently is uh, my co-teachers and I and our PLC, we've um, gotten together and did a unit we called Voices. And we had six different tracks students could choose. And I encouraged them to choose a track that they didn't know much about. And those tracks included uh, Black voices, feminist voices, queer voices, disabled voices, um, Lat Lat Latinx voices. Uh, I know I'm indigenous voices and immigrant and refugee voices. That's what it was. Um, so we, we gave them all these different tracks they could follow and they read a poem, an essay, a short story, a nonfiction article and a creative nonfiction essay um, over the course of a little bit. They watched a video, they listened to a podcast um, and that took a whole marking period. And the students loved reading and responding to those things, watching, listening. And at the end, they ended up mimicking a lot of those forms. They wrote a, a creative nonfiction essay about their own experience. They wrote um, a fiction short story or a poem, their choice. And they got to choose to either make a YouTube video or a podcast about that topic. And by the end of that quarter, so many students were telling me, I never would have thought I'd learn about these things and also be doing English. And I said, well, that's the power of English. It's just language and you used language. So there you go. Um, so I, I want them to feel genuinely seen and I want them to learn about each other so that they stay in school and know that school is, is for them. Um, the other reason I find it important to be an ally is for my, my colleagues. Um, education is still a predominantly white female profession. And I feel that a lot of my coworkers feel the need to put on a mask as well, not just my students in order for them to fit in and, and feel successful and, and uh, not make waves. And there are other colleagues who want to make waves, but are afraid of retaliation. And so by showing them that I am there with them and that I don't take my privilege as a white woman lightly, I recognize it, I feel the weight of it, I see it. I want them to know that they don't have to mask around me, first of all. They can talk to me about what's frustrating them. And second of all, I will 
put forth grievances in some instances for people who don't feel as comfortable and will try to tackle a lot of issues that seem to be persisting in our school in, in ways that I'm able. Um, I was starting that work last year when I finally felt like I really knew what I was doing as a teacher and I had a, a good reputation going. And now this year, everything seems sort of topsy-turvy, of course, um, but I'm still trying to find ways to get back in there and do that work. It's just, yeah, finally realizing that Zoom is gonna be a huge part of our lives. I now find myself wondering, okay, how do I, how do I get back in there with doing this work? Um, I really, I really worry about the number of teachers who will end up retiring at the end of this year early or leaving the profession. And I worry about how many teachers of color or LGBTQ teachers we might end up losing. Well, I, I got chills when you were talking about the uh, assignment and the different paths of the voices, like, oh my gosh, how incredible of an assignment not just for the students who are represented in those groups, but the ability for us to learn about different people, because that's truly where we make connections and some misunderstandings and cultural um, kind of making those connections across different cultures, where we start understanding and having that empathy um, that here's, here's the lives or privileges you may have or other people may not have, and here's how we can kind of help close some of those gaps. So I think that's awesome. Um, even in talking about speaking up for um, coworkers who sometimes might not feel that their voice is heard. I think that's just such an important um, way that you've used your voice. What is something that, I guess, how did you get involved in being an ally? And what are some resources that you go to in order to kind of give some information and feed your own self to learn and grow more? So the first thing I started doing, and this probably started around 2016 um, when Black Lives Matter really started taking off. And uh, I really was deep into the teaching profession and starting to see sort of the wool pulled off my eyes and the underside of things. And I read from a white anti-racist Twitter account. She said, the thing I've done that has helped me the most with being an ally is following as many different pages of diverse backgrounds as I possibly can. And just listening, just reading, just learning from them, not commenting, not entering the conversation, just learning as much as I can. And I thought, well, that's, stupid easy I should do that <laughs> why, why who wouldn't do that right I love reading I love scrolling I can add to my feed and so over the last few years I've just been curating my feed on different social media platforms and and following links to other sources and reading things and and then I started reading books and watching documentaries and and just learning everything I possibly could and trying to go straight to the source if there was something I wanted to learn about um, and possibly the part that really gets to me is so many people don't know how to actually listen. Um, especially when I see those social media platforms, so many, so many well, well-meaning often white people will get into those conversations and, and try to assert a point of view without really knowing the full scope of what's going on. And so I try to 
stop myself from speaking up in a conversation that's a, that is meant for uh, the group and not for me, because I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can and not insert my own filter on things. And I feel like that has to totally switched my focus from being what, what I would call myself before as not racist to anti-racist or not homophobic to anti-homophobic, add whatever label you want in there. Um, so that's, that's really how I got started, was just starting to be more socially aware and deciding that as someone who finds the value of research, I should go straight to the source. Absolutely, wow. That's incredible, I think too, is kind of putting some more resources in our tool belt where we can find, and I know I've been following your page and I always am enlightened by some of the things that you post. I'm like, wow, that's spot on. Like, um, because sometimes I, as a black woman may feel uncomfortable posting some things for fear of judgment or uh, where it's coming from. So I think the power in your voice, other allies to um, kind of lift up some of those messages or just bring light to some of them really helps people see or start to understand, you know, this is some barriers, here's some ways we can close the gap or maybe other people's lived experiences that we may just not be aware of. So thank you so much for, for the work that you do. I'm trying. I feel like I have a long way to go, but um, the most important part, I guess, is to not stop. Um, and I'll tell you, I've lost some friends some social media friends it's, it's happened <laughs> and I, I told myself to be ready for it it doesn't make it any easier but you know I'd rather I'd rather tell the truth and have people decide the truth is too hard to read than not tell the truth I guess and so what would be one message or challenge to the listeners uh, about being an ally yeah I think it goes back to what I was saying about listening and um, it's something I, I try to teach my students is uh, listen so that others love to speak to you. And I got that from a cheesy uh, framed little saying at a store and I bought it because I loved it. And I put it up in my classroom because I really do value listening. We do a unit every year at the beginning of learning about active listening and we teach students what active listening really means and how it's different from just hearing the words people say and then waiting for your turn to respond. Um, like true empathetic listening. And I think that is the first easiest but most continuous step toward being an ally is just to listen because this work is uncomfortable. It's, uh, it's convicting, it's full of passion and it's, it, especially for those of us who are white and privileged, um, it feels like a giant finger pointing all the time, but you have to remember that it's, it's not personal, it's, it's reality. Um, discrimination, oppression, uh, racism are all things that are real and learning about history and about society should not always make you happy. I don't remember the quote exactly, but my husband is a history teacher and I know you're, you were a social studies teacher. Learning about history should not make you feel good all the time if you're learning true history. And so to bring that back to listening, I think listening to people's lived experience and trying to see where they're coming from is 
the first step in being an ally, because if you speak over people, then what's the point of what you're doing, right? Being an ally to someone is, is championing their cause, not your own. And that's something I've had to work on is make sure, am I overstepping right now? Am I speaking for people or over them? And I think stopping and listening before speaking is what has helped me to try to tread that road. Um, thank you for um, that listening so that people love to talk to you. I like that. And I think that's something students who sometimes, I think English is so important because we can get worked up on social media or you know just scrolling where we have to stop, take a moment, breathe, and truly listen to each other's through learning and speaking to each other, that discourse is going to help us change. Uh, I think 2020 brought so many awakenings, you know, and awareness. And now that when, if we can actually start listening to each other, we can start creating more of that change we hope to see in the world. Exactly. And I'm looking forward to 2021 being a, a healing year from everything we've been through as a society. Um, I know it can look bleak when you all you're doing is scrolling, but uh, my students remind me every day that things really aren't always bleak. There's hope. Indeed, there is hope. I think hope is what truly makes a difference that we can instill in our students that together we're stronger. We don't have to take life so serious that learning can be fun it can be relevant and your story can show up and your story truly matters. So it's up to us as educators to create that community by reflecting the stories represented in our classroom, creating those connections to the curriculum. And I believe it's allies like you who do that work every single day, day in and day out, so that students feel heard, they feel supported and valued for who they are and what they bring to the table. So thank you for instilling hope in students. And I believe it's this reciprocal hope between our students and our teachers that challenge everyone to give their very best each day, despite barriers and roadblocks that many face. It's about perseverance and sharing your story, your lived experiences, so we can grow and learn from each other and build and be successful in that because we have to set up each student for success. And that's different from student to student, school to school, classroom to classroom. So thank you so much for the hope that you inspire. Now it's time for a little game. We're going to play a quick rapid fire game of questions. Probably better prepared <laughs> this round. Rapid fire, all right. So the first one is, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Uh, my students, for sure. Um basically children in general. I, any, anytime I can see a cute little video about a kid doing something remarkable on Facebook or whatever, or anytime I get to like, just be silly with my students and, and learn about what they're talking about and what's popular with them. Um, it just brightens my day because like you said, they're, they are full of uh, potential and spontaneity and, and, and they aren't quite so jaded as, as I can be as an adult, you know? And so they, they remind me to be silly and be light and do what I can to spread joy because I feel like I've, I've worked so hard to make my classroom a safe space for everybody that they feel the freedom to be their silly selves in my room. And uh, a lot of teachers might see that as uh, 
lack of classroom management, which I've been accused of before, but I remind them, oh, if I told them to stop, they would. They respect me too. It's just, they feel like they can just break out of their shell a little bit in my room. And I have the luxury of, of block periods at early college, so I can, I can give them some time to be silly. Uh, the conversations I have with them, the, the celebrations I have with them about their life, the milestones, everything. It's just, that's what makes me get up every day and go to work is knowing that I get to talk to them. And, and you're making a difference every single day. I'm sure students are gonna look back and say, Ms. Kingery's class, I learned so much. I developed my voice. I got to express myself. So, all right, question two. What, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell her? Yeah, I would tell her to not try to be something she's not. Um, I was that kid that grew up shy and introverted and uh, surprise, surprise, just read a lot. And uh, I was the new kid a few different times and not super gregarious or outgoing. And so as I matured into a young adult and, and went to college and graduated high school and everything, I felt the need to reinvent myself. And so I tried a little too hard to do that and ended up being a little inauthentic and, and putting myself through some struggle I didn't need to. And so I feel like I would go back to my freshman college self and say, just be yourself. It's okay to wanna stay in and, and drink hot cocoa and read your book. It's okay. You don't have to go to the party that you don't really wanna to go to to prove that you're exciting. So I feel like that's what I would tell any 18 year old is, you know, try new things, have fun, but don't force yourself to do things to try to please other people. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think I'd be telling my 18 year old self the same thing. <laughs> and if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be? Yeah, um, I'm gonna be a broken record here and say, I would put on the billboard, listen, it's worth it. Mm. Uh, and I think because it's one of those things that I truly believe can change the world is people listening more, but it's not, so, it's not accusatory to the point where people would read the billboard and, and just dismiss it out of frustration. Um, it's something that anyone can get behind, I think, is to be a better listener. So I think it's, it's the perfect message to help bring peace is if everyone learned to listen. Yeah, and it goes along. I, I always think back to early college motto, you know, we didn't say it was going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it. You know, yes. listening is part of that. Miss Burke even uses that as a quiet down uh, tactic, you know. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. And then the kids say, but it's worth it. Yeah. Especially this year, it's very, but it's worth it. <laughs> They're all just like, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> hmm. So what's the most important thing you've learned so far in life? Ooh. Uh, um, that it's never too late or the wrong moment to remind people that you love them. Um, and that telling people you love them uh, might seem like an awkward thing to do, but most of the time you're saying something that someone needs to hear, whether they know it or not. Um, I'm, I'm one of those teachers that unabashedly tells my students I love them. Uh, and when they first meet me, they're always like, okay, bye, have a good day. But then usually by a second marking period, they're like, I love you too, or 
have a good day, you know? So, and I, I, I really think that love, unconditional love is, uh, something that feels rare sometimes, but we all have the ability to give it to others in little ways. So I think that's something I learned is you won't have forever to prove to people how much you love them. So find every opportunity you have to show them. I love that loving without conditions. I think we need more of that within our world. Um, and if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would they be? Mm, okay. So I feel like one of them has to be William Shakespeare, mainly because he was just a linguistic genius and I would want to pick his brain about writing. Uh, another one, I feel like my answers are going to change from last time. Uh, <laughs> I feel like another one would probably be Jane Austen. Um, I'd want to know what it was like to be a woman then trying to write and, and knowing that she really didn't get famous until after she died, how that must've felt knowing that you've got these stories inside you and, and you have to write them down, but no one really noticed at first. Um, and probably a third one would have to be Zora Neale Hurston. And I think the reason for that is also, she was mainly in obscurity forever. Um, most people didn't know who she was until Alice Walker discovered her unmarked grave. And so uh, she also had all these stories bursting inside of her to come out. You know, as Maya Angelou says, if you have a story, you know, bursting inside you, you have to let it out. Um, and I think I'd want to pick her brain about their eyes were watching God because there's some imagery and some metaphors in that book that I just still can't wrap my mind around completely but are amazing and I'd want to ask her about them like what did you mean by this and I know a lot of people say well you should just interpret literature without worrying about the author but I just can't do that I need to know what they were thinking when they wrote it <laughs> right yeah absolutely and I think that's so important you kind of highlighted everybody has a story right and so it's our job to really um, help and nurture students especially to tell their stories because there's power in their stories and leaving a legacy, you know, um, by sharing that. So kind of want to leave listeners with this last question of what is your why? Um, I think my why is to encourage other people to learn to learn to use their voice. And the reason I say that is because, like you said, we all have a story to tell and it's often the stifling of our story that causes so much inner turmoil and, and struggle in our life is, is the inability to share ourselves and our story. And I feel like that's what's happening right now in our country is, is so many groups are finally feeling like it it's come to a head and they need to share their story. This is what's happening to me and my people. This is what's happening to our group. This is what has happened. And so many people are responding with, no, that's not your story, or I don't want to hear your story. Or what about my story? And it can feel like there's no way out, but um, I feel like if I influence the people I have the ability to influence, and show them that their voice does matter, then I'm adding a little bit to the pool 
to try to pull the poison out of the well, I guess. Um, I f yeah, I feel like my why is, is, uh, is everyone's voice. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share um, part of your story and what you're doing in the classroom to break down barriers and roadblocks and create more seats at the table for student voices and to uh, represent the voices of colleagues as well. So thank you for the work that you're doing and will continue to do. Thank you, Karen, for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I feel honored. I am finally telling my story and want to empower others to do the same. Tune in each week to my podcast where we identify, implement, and inspire with an eye on equity as we make the world brighter, kinder, and a safer space for all to be the best versions of themselves. So buckle up for courageous conversations and insights to help close the gap and change the narrative on the road to equity.